Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Someone who did know that fact of the day is uh, Jonathan DeBurka Butler uh, here once again uh, to share some news from around the world. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you getting on? Uh, now, uh, we're going to go to India first. And uh, this is a tragic story about a 12-year-old who died from a, after being bitten by a dog. Yeah, this is a 12-year-old who out in August was going out to get some milk in the local shop and was mauled by a dog. Uh, the dog had rabies, uh, which obviously passed on to her, and she died last Monday. So she was a good few weeks fighting for her life in in hospital, but uh, unfortunately uh, passed away last Monday. And it's the twenty first rabies death in this state in India. So this happened Crikey. in Kerala. Now Kerala is a state in the southwest of the country. Um, and uh, it has a population of about 34 million it's about half the size of Ireland right just to give you an idea of how kind of congested it is but that's that's pretty much the same all over that uh, at that particular country but the 21st rabies death in Kerala this year and what's interesting about it is uh, there's a few interesting things about it obviously on various different levels but five of those 21 people who died were actually vaccinated and she had been vaccinated ah. three times already this year and was supposed to get a fourth dose in September but it seems that these uh, vaccines aren't particularly effective so that's one particular strand of it um, which they're going to have to have a look into obviously but the other side of it is obviously the numbers of stray dogs that are in this particular state and in India as a whole it's a massive problem right so on foot of this particular inc- incident because of her age it caused quite a bit caused quite a bit got quite a bit of attention in the media there as you can imagine mm. but a federal minister told parliament just after this a- incident happened in August that there was 15.3 million stray dogs in India in 2019 and that this was actually down 10% from the 17 million that there were in 2012 in They're Kerala awesome. alone there are almost 300,000 stray dogs Um, so it really is a major problem and obviously a problem that needs to be addressed but there are two sides to that particular story as well the animal rights people who want it addressed in a humane manner Mm -hmm. and then the other side of course who just want to go out with guns and knives and whatever and get rid of a lot of them Yeah uh, the animal rights people do they have any kind of suggestions as to what you're going to do with 300,000 dogs yeah it's it's one of the reasons why I mentioned those figures that the, the that the numbers of stray dogs had gone down in those seven years between 2012 and 2019 by 10% because there is an actual system in place whereby uh, since 2001 the dogs are picked up they're knocked out effectively and then they're sterilised and they're sent back to the places that they were that they were found in effectively, mm. right? And so that is the humane way of doing it. And okay. the animal rights activists are saying that this is not being carried out uh, or that there's been a sort of a slackening off, shall we say, in, in, in the execution of this particular exercise. So um, they want this to be continued or at least ramped up while the other side, uh, as I said, just want to go out and start shooting dogs left, right and centre. Yeah. And, and just going back to the, the like the vaccine obviously isn't effective or not it, very effective. It, it, it appears not to be. I mean, that's that's one of the questions that have come from this. As I said, 21 people in Kerala have died. Five of them had been vaccinated. So there's something going wrong there. Uh, and obviously that needs to be looked into as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because, you know, normally here, if you got a, a bite of a dog or a rat or something, you go for a rabies shot after that. Is that, mm. is that the would have been the sequence of events there or are they given... 
uh, I, I, I think it's shot. I think it's a prevent. It's a more yeah. of a preventative thing because yes. the problem is so endemic, uh, really. Um, so I, I think it's a preventative type of shot rather than one that's given after. Right, Mozambique. Uh, we're going to go to uh, next, where uh, uh, ISIS are, are still operating, or at least that's the claim. Yeah, it's been a while since I've spoken about Mozambique in this particular context. The last time we spoke about it was we were talking about a territory up on the far north of the country, which is called Cabo Delgado. Um, a lot of people might remember this because about 18 months ago, two years ago, there was a hotel that was laid siege to a lot of oil workers, international oil workers were in there. And this mm. particular group, which are affiliated to Islamic State called Ansar al Sana, have been very active in this particular area since an insurgency started against the government in 2017. Right. But I think what, what's... What's developing about this particular story is that it has now shifted from Cabo Delgado down further into the south. Okay, and this particular incident mm. happened happened in a very dense, relatively densely populated area. Six million people out of thirty million in Mozambique live in this particular province called Nampula. Right, so it, this isn't doesn't have as much oil or gas, but it does have cotton and tobacco and various different kinds of things. And what's thought that's happening here is that Ansar al-Sunna are going into these towns and villages. They're wrecking the places and trying to instill fear in people so that people leave, go into the cities and these guys can take over these cotton-rich areas, right? Now, in this particular instance, they went into a city called Chipene and uh, it was a small village within that city um, which was run by a group of nuns, okay? There was a church and there was a hospital and a school and all sorts of typical things that you'd find in a Catholic missionary. And they set fire to the whole place, all right, and started running after people and killing them indiscriminately. And mm. one of the people that they killed was an 83-year-old Italian nun, okay, Maria de Coppi. She had been in Mozambique since before the time of independence. So she's been there since 1963. Mm. And this is how the poor woman ended her life, uh, shot in the head by uh, by an extremist. Um, so absolutely awful but has done exactly what these people wanted it to do. It has got international headlines and it is getting the attention of other Islamic State affiliates, affiliates who, uh, you know, they're hoping will um, row in behind them, help mm. them uh, both financially and uh, militarily. Yeah. Now, the, uh, these seem to be just kind of sporadic random attacks rather than a, a, a declaration that we're, we're a force now moving steadily down the country. Uh I don't know. It's been pretty organised, Sean, yeah. to be honest with you. I would say tactically, like, I'm, I'm no Tom Clonan, but t- t- tactically, like, it is guerrilla warfare. There's no doubt about it. Mm. But the government are after these guys and have been at war with these guys for the last four or five years. And they're gradually getting better and gaining more ground and more control. It's a fight for these resources. And it's so serious that they are drafting in various different other uh, allies to help them out, like Rwanda. We actually covered it, as far as I remember, sent in a thousand troops there last year, it was. Um, and there's other countries from the area who are obviously concerned as well. And, and, and they're sending in uh, troops to help out as well. Yeah. So it's a very serious situation. And, and I would say as they are being more successful, they're getting more emboldened as well. Yeah. And I mean, apart obviously from uh, getting international headlines and national attention locally to the to these areas, is there some effect they want to, to take place here. Well, it's it's the classic scenario where they're trying to um, sow division. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, over, if, we, if we have a minute, yeah, I mean, sure, overall, yeah. population wise, the, the uh, split between Christian and, and Islam is about 
it's, it's about 70% Christian and 18% uh, Islamic yes. in Mozambique, right? But the further north you go, the, that divide narrows, right? So as they do in all of these places, they will try and find reasons for that community to to those for those communities to be pitted against each other mm-hmm. and they'll recruit from that is what they do all throughout Central Africa and they're doing the exact same thing here. Right, okay. Hong Kong we're going to go to uh, next and uh, a court case uh, over some children's books. What's so terrible about children's books? Yeah, nothing you would think um, but according to this particular judge in Hong Kong uh, they are seen to be portraying seditious intention, right? So this oh is... Uh, uh, three books that were written by five speech therapists, young people right between the ages of 25 and 28. They were arrested. I think they've already spent a year in prison. And the reason for this is that one of the books written by the this, this group of five um, involves a pack of wolves who are trying to take over an area that is has been owned for a very long time by a group of sheep. All right, it's a very okay. simple children's story. Okay. But the authorities there, which is all, you know, Beijing led mm, now, of course, yeah. uh, have basically said, well, look, we don't like the way that this, you know, shows mighty villains against, you know, meek little lambs, shall we say. And we think we're being represented here. Mm-hmm. Which is a terrible admission on their part, to be honest with they, you. They, well, yeah. Did they provide any evidence that, that you know the wolves look a bit like they're from Beijing? No, I saw, and I and I <laughs> and I saw sketches of it actually, and there's nothing in there that sort of you know illustrates that in the illustrations that make them look like they're they're not wearing like Communist Party um, yes. you know blazers <laughs> or anything like that, as far as I know. But is is what he said was the seditious intention stems not merely from the words, but from the words with the prescribed effects intended to result in the mind of children. Total rubbish um, uh, coming out of this judgment. But these guys could go to prison for up to two years. So they've been found guilty and they'll be sentenced in the next few days. Uh, and these books are aimed at what kind of age group? Oh, y- young kids. Uh, yeah. Young kids up to about eight, I believe. So it, right, it is okay. very young. But I mean, the intention of their, their profession, their speech therapists, the intention is to help people with speech difficulties. Okay. Uh, uh, Usually a hotbed of sedition, uh, (laughs) the speech therapy uh, industry. Right. Uh, Chile, we're going to go to next. Now, I suppose there's maybe two parts to explain to this, because a couple of weeks ago, people would have might have seen the headlines where uh, Chileans voted down uh, reforms to the Constitution, even though prior to that, polls seemed to indicate that they wanted to reform their Constitution. What happened there? Yeah, so this was nine days ago that the results of this particular um, uh, constitutional referendum came through. And, and the government, whether they're wholly responsible for it or not, but they've taken responsibility for it, got, got a thumping really, right? So mm. it's interesting the way you frame the question, actually, because it all stems from these protests that happened back in 2019, right, that themselves came from very simple um, transport rises. I think students went out and protested over the cost of tickets on trains and the like, and then it escalated, it became violent. And eventually the protesters got the then president to agree to redrafting the constitution. And this is the same constitution from the time of Pinochet in 1980, right? So there was probably time that uh, things needed to be changed. So he said, "Okay, what we'll do is we'll take that to a vote. We'll have a plebiscite on whether we should have a plebiscite or not. And as you said, as you referred to, they voted by 80% to go and have that, to put a constitutional convention together, which they did. 
way they voted for the members of that constitutional convention. So it was separate from the Senate, separate from the Assembly. Mm. 155 members came in and they were given a year to come up with a draft constitution. Right. They put that. That was finished on the 4th of July, I think, of this year. Uh, don't know if there was any intention in the in in the date, but anyway, Fourth of July of this year, I was put to the people nine days ago, and they absolutely rejected it out of hand. Sixty two percent to thirty eight percent was the outcome. Uh, totally rejected it. Yeah. Um, now, in the intervening months before the election, it did get a bit of a bashing. Right. It, it, it was thought that it had gone too far left. Um, okay. Right. And that you know there was bits in there that were shall we say, nice towards indigenous people, but not so nice when they're being given a house and it's your land that's going to be threatened. This was the problem, right? Okay. There, there, there was rumours, whether it was true or not, that land would have to be taken from other people to give to other people. That wasn't acceptable. They were talking about reforming the Senate. That wasn't acceptable either. Parity of pay within uh, government circles as well. Government jobs, that wasn't acceptable either. So they've got rid of it altogether. And the response from Gabriel Boric. So this is the 36-year-old president. President, He's only been in there six or seven months. Uh, has been to get rid of his cabinet, right? So he's ditched five or six of the younger, more left-wing people out okay. and brought in more centrist people. But they're saying they're going to have another go. Um, they're thinking of trying it again. Uh, so he's taken this defeat on the chin. He's accepted it. But he's saying, why don't we just do it again? Have a con- constitutional convention, vote them through again. Mm. And we'll see what we can come up with the second time. And it appears most people are up for it. OK, all right. Because I suppose voting down this constitution didn't, wasn't necessarily a vote for the old constitution. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And very interestingly, just to finish on this, there was a poll that was done in July of this year, right, just before the vote. And it said uh, 74% of the rep- respondents said that if the vote doesn't pass, they'd be happy to have another crack at it. So, okay. so so that's the way it's going. So there's, it's not all gone yet, but I'd say if it went a second time and failed, it that might, it, it, it might <laughs> cover the whole thing. They might be a bit more careful about what they come up with uh, Indeed, this time. Yeah. Uh, right, Israel, we're going to go to uh, uh, finally, where a housekeeper has gone to prison for doing what? Attempting to spy, if that's a thing. Oh, uh, he, just he, not being very good at spying. Just then. not being very good at it. I think uh, the original charges that were put up against him was were in fact full fledged espionage. But I think they might have come up with some sort of a plea bargain to get information out of him. So first okay. of all, who is he? Omri Gorachovsky is his name, right? He's a housekeeper who was working with Benny Gantz. Does that name ring a bell? He, he was the prime minister right. for a few few months. He was the defence minister because <laughs> I think so everybody in Israel has been prime minister for a few months. <laughs> Absolutely, he was prime minister for just under a year, I think, up to some point last year. I can't remember; it's so hard to keep mm. track of it. Anyway, um, but at the time that this happened, he was the defence minister, right? Okay. And this guy, Ami Garchovsky, uh, decided that he would reach out to a group of people called uh, Black Shadow. Right now, the, these guys, Black Shadow, they're not not very not very um, yeah, not very subtle. hiding what yeah. they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're connected to Iran in some way, and he said that he could access Benny Gantz's files. And in order to show them or to prove to them that he could do that, he took photos of the family, he took photos of the office, the computer, the whole thing to prove. That he could get close to. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And of course, he sent them off. And while he was doing that, the internal security uh, organisation, Shin Bet, I think they're called, if Mm. that's the right pronunciation, intervened and they they discovered what was going on. So they arrested him 
uh, and he's now been sentenced to three years in prison as of Tuesday. Uh, so he didn't, wasn't very good at his job if he was trying to put himself forward as a spy. And was there any, did it come up in court why he wanted to be a spy? Was it just financial? Was there some sort of... Yeah, uh, grander purpose at yeah. work here. So, so th- there was. This is very interesting because Shinbet obviously they got pat on the back for doing what they what they did, right? Catching the guy and making sure that nothing um, uh, nothing got out that was you know of national security or very particularly important. Um, but it was discovered that he was actually uh, had quite a criminal record, right? So he had done f- uh, four prison terms, as far as I know. Oh, dear. And had been ki- convicted twice for armed robbery. Um, so their vetting <laughs> needs to be... Needs Would to that be, be Shin Bet doing that yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah, they, need to, they need to look at that side of the equation as well. The reason he did it was because he was uh, in debt, right? So he yeah. was looking for $7,000 from this Black Shadow uh, group um, for the for the passing of information. What, what he was going to do, what he had proposed was he was going to fix a bug in the office and just leave it there so they could listen into the defence minister ordering his takeaway or whatever he does. Right, okay. So what should we look out for over the next week or so? Yeah, it's it's going to be, I think, a fairly fascinating week uh, for lots of reasons, right? Just when I was coming in, actually, Armenia and Azerbaijan look as if they're going at it again and it could be bigger than the last time, right? There was a six-week mm. war back in 2020, and, and that would be very bad for Putin as well because he sent peacekeepers there a few years ago. He can't afford to do that now, so he has yeah, stepped he in to get them to stop. So he's stretched. Speaking of Putin, he's min- meeting uh, Xi Jinping on Thursday, uh, mm. I think in Shanghai or some, yeah. somewhere around there. I'm not 100% sure. And then Erdogan is meeting Putin after that. Erdogan on Saturday is then going to the United States to meet Biden which oh, is interesting, interesting, very yeah. interesting. Yeah. And then Tuesday week, there's a UN General Assembly. So, given everything that's going on, I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a funny week. Yeah. So there oh, you go. Here more, first, folks. More interesting <laughs> times to live in. Jonathan, thanks a million as thanks, ever. Uh, Jonathan de Burke about there. Moncrief brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at two p.m. on News Talk.